Right, okay, we've got some pictures. Sometimes your worst nightmare can be your greatest breakthrough. I don't know if any of you um, saw um, the, uh, the BBC series Small Axe. It was about five um, Caribbean communities um, in the Windrush generation. And one of the, the stories was about a policeman called Leroy uh, Logan. And he, he wrote a story, and uh, it's a fascinating story. Um, he, he managed to rise to the rank of superintendent, which was a challenge for, as an Afro-Caribbean man and a Christian. And he finally became uh, one of the, the senior policemen to, uh, to organize security at the Olympic Games in 2012. Now, his dad wanted him to be a doctor. You know, if, if you were a um, Windrush generation um, parent, you wanted your children to be a doctor <coughs> or, a, or a lawyer. Um, that, that's what they liked. But um, Leroy Logan saw um, uh, an Asian policeman out one day, and he decided that you know, people like him could become policemen. And he decided to enlist in the police. Now, the same week that he um, was inducted into the police for his training, his dad was beaten up by some policemen. And it took a long time for, there's no kind of actual connection between those two things, but it took a long time for his dad to come to terms with the fact that his son was a policeman. You know, sometimes our worst nightmare can be our greatest breakthrough. That can be true in life, and it can be true in the church. We said it this morning, sometimes the bumps that you climb on. You know, sometimes setbacks are, you know, cleverly disguised advances. They are preparations for um, moving forward. Um, and, and that's the way growth often works, isn't it? That it's, it's not a, a line that kind of goes up like this. It is a line that tends to kind of you know, move up and down. So here in this story... Um, we, we have a story um, about a nightmare. And of course, the, um, the nightmare is of people grumbling in the life of the church. So we, we read about the Hellenistic Jews um, complaining that they've been overlooked in the distribution of, uh, of aid to them, uh, that the Hebraic Jewish widows had, had received help, but they, the Hellenistic Jews, had been overlooked, they've been snubbed. And of course it always begins, doesn't it, um, with grumbling. That's the way often difficulties begin to arise in the life of the church. You, you kind of see that um, the corners are occupied not with smiling people, but with kind of, you know, people with kind of furrowed brows who are kind of, um, you know, talking quietly but, but loudly. Um, and, and negativity rather than positivity becomes the, the narrative of what's going on. We have here an example of what we might call church hurt. Um, here are people who feel that they've been badly done by, by the church. And every church has people who've had some experience of being hurt by the church. Some people are, are abused by the church. Some people are ignored by the church. People can be in the building, they can be kind of part of the membership list, but they don't feel as though they've been added, they don't feel as though they've been included, they don't feel that their voice has been heard 
In fact, they feel that perhaps they're, you know, a second tier of, of people in the life of the church. It's kind of a challenge, isn't it? I mean, when you blend old-timers and newcomers, you know, um, are you a fully paid-up member if you've kind of only been around for 20 years? <laughs> it's kind of a challenge, isn't it? Sometimes people can feel as though they're, they're not included. I, I recently read um, a book by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey is a, a writer from the States. He writes lots of books about things like being disappointed with God, problem of pain. And he, he explores the kind of questions that sometimes Christian church will gloss over. And in this um, latest book, he writes a memoir of his own <laughs> life. It's a, it's a story about his, his dad, who was a missionary, who refused um, uh, treatment for a, a medical condition because of his faith and died leaving his two brothers and his brother and himself to be looked after by his mother his young mother his mother was employed by the church as a counsellor and a children's worker they lived in a trailer in the car park of the church he heard a lot of the stories from the church you know sometimes the stories from church over the lunch table or between those who are kind of professional workers within the church, are not always helpful. You know, we, we had a, a kind of policy that we, we wouldn't talk about the church at home, we wouldn't talk about the church in front of our children, we wouldn't, we wouldn't kind of noise off about people that we were having difficulties with in the life of the church. We thought that was a really healthy thing. We thought it was important that um, we accentuated the positive rather than and drew attention to the negative. Philip Yancey says this in this book, the wounds of faith embed like permanent tattoos. The wounds of faith embed like permanent tattoos. Some people within faith communities feel that they have been wounded by those who have dealt with them. And he goes on to say, I explore the topic of pain in my writing because many who suffer receive more confusion than comfort, especially from the church. So the word, um, yeah, the wounds of faith in bed, like permanent tattoos. So we read there, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Just imagine it, you know, there'd been a secret number put on your back, which meant that, you know, when we got to the soup time, you were not going to get a bowl of soup. And there was um, two-thirds of the, the room that had a bowl of soup and those baguettes, and the other third had nothing. You know, probably, I mean, we're British, I mean, we probably wouldn't say anything about it, you know, we'd kind of, kind of sit there and be polite about it. But after a while, we'd kind of feel, well, you know, where's ours? <laughs> It's not great being overlooked, is it? You know, you, you're a person in a room, and everyone seems to be talking to each other, and everyone seems to know each other, and you're there in the corner, and no one's talking to you. It is a big challenge being overlooked. You know, maybe you've um, had the experience um, on the touchline when a sporting team is being chosen, of being the last person, and hearing the words, you can have them. <laughs> being overlooked is not great. And feeling that your whole community is overlooked 
probably because of your ethnicity, probably because of your culture, um, begins to produce a certain resentment, a sense that perhaps you're being victimised, that you're not valued, that you simply don't fit into this particular group. It's not great to be slighted, to be overlooked. And I think it's really important, I think ever so important, particularly if different kind of people are drafted into the life of Otley Church, that they are not overlooked. Now, we need to be very careful not to kind of put them off by smothering them either, but certainly we don't want to overlook them. We don't want them to feel that they're somehow not quite one of us. Class can do that. Colour can do that. People can feel that they don't fit because they're just not like the rest of the people and therefore they're being treated differently um, because of that. Uh, you may know, know this quote, you may know this, um, this picture. I am an invisible man. I'm a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fibre and liquids. And I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. I asked last night, are there any people that might be invisible to you as the church in Otley? People that you just wouldn't see. Now, of course, the, the problem with a blind spot is that you don't know you have a blind spot. That's the challenge, isn't it? Um, I talked to you last night about the, the lady who's written this book, Invisible Device, and she says, a lot of her middle-class friends said to her, what are you writing a book about um, incorporating the working class in the church for? Surely that's not a problem. And she said, well, you know, that's the point. You, know, you don't see it's a problem because you've got a blind spot about it. You don't realise it's an issue because you are in the club. You're the kind of people that fit in. And therefore, you don't notice the invisible divide. You don't see your blind spots. So these women are saying it's, um, it's wrong to be marginalised because of their ethnicity. And of course, we need to remember, just as we thought this morning about there being no need, no needy people among them, that that was very much an echo of the Old Testament. Of course, we know that the Old Testament and New Testament speaks about God's particular attention given to widows and orphans. God has a heart for the widow. In fact, James, in no uncertain terms, says in um, chapter 1 of his letter that this is um, a really central plank of what it means to be truly spiritually religious, that we have a concern for such vulnerable people. So the church has a reputation that the Jerusalem church um, there are no needy people among them. Um, the, the news goes around that um, people are even willing to reduce their assets and share them with others. People begin to come to the church. They, they hear that this is a church which is welcoming. The church is loving. But the challenge, of course, when you grow, is that you need to kind of move from a spontaneous, organic meeting of, of needs to a more intentional, organised dealing with needs. You see, sometimes a church can become the victim of its own success. Sometimes we, we, we grow to a certain level and our infrastructure 
does not allow us to minister to the people that we have and come to us. And we need to think about how are we going to do it? How are we going to look after these people? And there needs to be a strategy for that. There needs to be something put in place to make sure it happens. I remember when I first became a Christian and went to that church in Lurstoft, and it was not very long after it had been founded by around about 14, 15 people. And they retained that kind of small group mentality even when it grew. And that there was a sense of connectedness. There was a sense of, sense of spontaneity. People looked out for each other. People knew each other. In fact, one of the great surprises when I moved to the South Coast, which is a place, a strange place, as you know, when I moved to the South Coast, I remember going to one of the weddings of the church. And two things surprised me. First thing was that people turned up you know, looking as though they were going to the park. That was quite strange, you know, because um, in East Anglia, people tended to dress up. And the other odd thing was that half the church didn't come. You know, in Lowestoft, if there was a wedding or anything, everyone came. Because it was the, the nature of that community. But when it gets bigger, the dynamic changes. And what we do to include people 